0: We often think together about what being a Christian is like. It's better in many ways to think what God is like. And then we be better Christians. This uh, series I have chosen primarily for our encouragement. I do want to encourage us in these early days. To encourage us by enlarging our vision for God, the God who speaks, who gives joy, who gives glory, who reigns, who cares. Today, the God who gives us security. Psalm uh, 16, the God who gives us security. This psalm is often called the golden thread, or the golden psalm, or the golden song in the Psalter, such is its worth. The title at the start of the psalm, you'll see a miktam of uh, David. I wonder if any of our musicians know what a miktam is. No. These are all part of the original text, these descriptions. A miktam is a musical or liturgical term that no one knows what it means. The author is David. And therefore, this what we're going to read is a testimony of a believer reflecting on the fact that their security is in God. So let's read this golden psalm. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What will be the impact of studying this psalm on our minds, our emotions, our wills, our lives? That might seem a strange question to ask at the start of a sermon. Perhaps we should just let it happen. Let the Holy Spirit work with his word as he will. But I want to ask the question, unusually, because I want us to think about what happens when the word of God is preached. Always something It cannot leave us unaffected. After all, it is God's voice. And that voice is the voice of our King. It is powerful, it is directive, it is comforting, it is transforming, it is good. If you're a Christian, you're sitting here and you're feeling insecure in your life, and a good number of us will be. If you're feeling insecure... Uncertain, then being reminded of the fact that your ultimate security as a Christian is in God will steady you. It's amazing how many letters I've received over the past two years that have ended with the words, Keep steady. Steady. If you're feeling insecure... And if you pay attention, in the next 20 minutes, I promise you, the Holy Spirit will steady you. For others of us as Christians, God may well speak to us through this psalm to refocus us, correct us. Me, for one, because we have, perhaps even subconsciously, begun to look for security in places where we find none ultimately. And God wants to redirect our vision, to redirect the orientation of our hearts that we find security in him and in him alone. I often think as a church family, we're at our most godly about 10 to 12 on a Sunday. For me, it's a kind of gradual slide down until I get into the sermon about Wednesday again and a gradual coming back up by the bootstraps. And, And God often wants to just refocus our vision and say, don't run after things that will not give you everlasting security. Maybe one of the things that God will teach us as a church family through this period of transition is that our security is to be found in Him alone. If we learn that as a church family, we are so much more usable to God. But the primary way we will be affected by the as Christians in our minds, our emotions, and our wills is, because the psalm says this will happen, is to impress on us joy in our relationship with God. And when the Bible speaks about joy, it is not talking about a false or a fleeting joy that is a a mirror, if you like, of the circumstances of our lives. When the Bible speaks about joy, it speaks about a substantial or a deep-rooted joy, a foundational joy, the, the, the brickwork that holds up the building of our lives. notice how this note of joy is sounded increasingly towards the end of the psalm. It's almost as if David the writer, and he's a godly man, but even David, as he reflects on the character of God, as the psalm runs on, he begins to find and sound the note of joy. Look at verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken, and His heart warms. Therefore, my heart is glad. Verse 11 You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I said this last week that that I want us as a church family to recover words and emotions and feelings like glad and rejoice and fullness of joy and pleasure in God. God often is saying to us, I think, saying to me, find more pleasure in me than you do. God delights in that. Some of us here are not yet convinced Christians. How will this sermon um, affect you? Well, I'm going to pray with a bit of boldness in a minute that it will convince you to become one. Because there is nothing, nothing like God when it comes to security in life and in death and eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that those here in this room who are Christians who feel insecure because of circumstances in their lives would be steadied. We pray, Lord, that those of us who have run after other gods for our security would be refocused wonderfully and graciously. And we pray, Lord, that as Christians, our emotions... We dwell up within us with gladness and pleasure as we feel your pleasure for us. And for those of us here who are not yet convinced Christians, Lord, by your Spirit, convince them to become Christians as we dwell on the fact of your security in life and in death. And eternity. Speak to us. Amen. There's a great temptation when you're a preacher, when you're training preachers and they've all left, sent them off into the world, to put every bit of scripture through a mangle and to come out with an A and a B and a C and a sub point under each of these. You can't do that with a Psalm. This Psalm says one thing, one thing alone. It says, your security, if it is in God, is all that you need. That's all it says. It says it in lots of ways. So I'm not going to put it through a mangle, not entirely, but I'm going to have two points. Why? Because what the writer does in verses 1 to 6 is he he nails down the principle. He says, my security is in God alone. And then in verses 7 to 11, he stands, as it were, in the moment, It's 25 past 11, we'll get to point 2, about 20 to 12. He stands in the moment knowing that his security is in God and he looks forward to all the days he has left on the earth and he thinks about what they will be like knowing that God is his security and then he looks at his death and then he looks at eternity. That's how the psalm works. So first the principle, verses 1 to 6. Security in God, or a believer's testimony as to their security in God. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. It's like a preface to the whole psalm. David is not praying as he often does in the Psalms for God's protection or deliverance from a particular situation. It's not what he's doing. What he is doing, I think, is uh, is praying a prayer of dependent trust that is life in every part and compartment from now and into the future, will be secure. Why? Because he has taken his refuge in God. Because he has made God his safe haven. And so right at the start of the psalm, we get a wonderful picture of a believer's confidence. Why? Can you feel in your heart that your life is secure because you have made your refuge in God? That's what he's saying. So, even now, as we read this Preserve me, O God, for it is in you I take refuge. You can feel that steadiness in your heart. One of the scariest moments of my life was white water rafting on the Colorado River one of these things you do when you're young. You get talked into, and when you're sitting in the raft, having signed away your life, you regret it, but don't have the bottle to get out of the boat. I I had just got engaged when I did this, and that thought entered my mind. um, I shouldn't be doing this. And then another thought entered my mind. I'll not be doing it in the future, so I may as well do it now. (laughs) We were on this uh, stretch of the river, In a place called Glenwood Springs Called the Tombstone Rapids And of course we had to pick The most dangerous one of all And uh, all our confidence All our confidence Was in this one man Who sat at the back of the raft With these two oars in his hand Who said he knew the river Inside out And we would not die Without him, though, we might have. And all our confidence as Christians is in the Lord Jesus. The hymn, in Christ alone, my hope is found, my light, my strength, my song, the cornerstone, the solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Now, following the prayer in verse 1, David goes on in verse 2 to express express very directly his allegiance to the Lord. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. That's very striking that. See, if you notice this, David is not turning to his neighbor. Imagine turning to the person beside you, even your husband or wife, and and, and, on the person beside you and saying to them, do you know that for the Christian, Um, they can say, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. David's not saying that. He's saying it to the face of God. It's very different. He's so strong in his confidence, in his security, and in God, that he tells God to his face that he is his Lord. Is that arrogant? Does it make God angry? No, quite the opposite. God delights to hear us speak like this to him. What if you speak to God like that? Do you speak to God like that? Do you take God almost by the, the shoulders and say, You are my God. I have no good but you. God loves to hear us say that. He loves it even more when we mean it. He loves to hear it on our lips, He loves to read our souls saying it. When a believer in their soul, in the presence of a heart-searching God, declares their unqualified, dependent trust in God for all their security, then there is infinite pleasure in the heart of God. Think of it like this. Every parent feels the impact. Parents don't feel impact in their minds. Every parent feels the impact when a child expresses their unqualified trust in their security that they provide, especially when that child is a teenager or an adult, not a tiny toddler who knows no else. And what God longs for, not least amongst mature Christians, is that childlike dependent holding God almost by the shoulders and saying to his face, you are my Lord. I have no good in life apart from you. stands down to verses 5 and 6. We'll come back to 3 and 4 in a sec. Verses 5 and 6 repeat what has been said in 1 and 2. They make the point that the believer's security is to be found in God and in God alone. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And in these verses, the believer reflects on the fact that to have our security in God is not simply a matter of safety and refuge, but a way of life whereby true contentment and purpose is to be found. The reference to my chosen portion and my cup is a reference to the benefits and the pleasures that are the believers in God. True satisfaction is not found in material things, It is found in God. It is found in the knowledge that as children of God we share with the Lord Jesus all the riches of the covenant of grace. You are sitting here this morning, if you are a Christian believer, and you may be the wealthiest or the poorest person material in the world, but if you are a Christian, you share with the Lord Jesus all the privileges of adoption of the Son of an Almighty God. You are forgiven. You have a glorious inheritance. You have life in the Holy Spirit. Nothing can touch you for eternity. It's wonderful. <coughs> True contentment and purpose in life and a divinely ordered purpose in our lives. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. David is saying that his life is purpose and order. It is providentially ordered by God. One of uh, our ministry associates said to me on Friday morning, we're doing our ministry meetings in Costa Coffee. And uh, it encourages me, we trained them well when he said to me, do you know when you preach that line on Sunday, you hold my lot, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Many of the people you preach to will not think that their lines are falling in pleasant places. But what David David's lines really did. And what he is saying that ultimately, God, I know that nothing in my life is out with your sovereign control. Think of that image of the whitewater raft going through Tombstone. The guy on the rudder just knew which line to take us through. Life for the believer on this earth is not easy. But the lines for the believer ultimately fall in pleasant places. And of course, the best way to see and understand that is how long is your life as a believer? 10,000 times, 10,000 years? How much of that is perfect? All of it, bar three score years and ten. The lines, for me, have fallen in pleasant places. Security in God. Now, what are verses three and four? Well, verse four, I think, is here as a warning. It's all very well to sit in church on a Sunday morning and pledge our allegiance to God for all our security. And be beguiled into forgetting the risks we face each day, the pull in our hearts as we battle with sin to follow after other gods, And so he says in verse 4, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The gods of prosperity and wealth and worldly pleasure and success, our desire to run after these gods, to be like everybody else, is a draw on our hearts. Let me underscore something here. It is not wrong to have wealth as a Christian, Christian church in the UK would be bankrupt if wealthy Christians did not give as generously as they do. But it is wrong to pursue these things as gods. Sin leads to sorrow in the end. So David says, and we all need to say as Christians, I will follow after you, God, as my heart, soul, and strength, but I will not follow after that. Verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Why is David expressing his delight in the people of God when his security is in God? Well, partly I think because the security of the people of God is bound up in his covenant. But also it's very practical. How do you find help to keep hold of the fact that your security is in God alone and not follow after other gods? Who helps you do that? The people of God. That's what he's saying. That's why we need to come together in our church, in our small groups. We need each other far more than we know. And let's remember to think of one another as the Lord Jesus thinks of us. In you, you drive me mad sometimes. I drive you mad. But I can truly say from my heart, in you is all my delight. Because in you, the Lord Jesus invests everlasting salvation. That's the principal security in God. Now, the second half. Now, what the writer does in these final verses, and this is very moving and very powerful, he stands in the moment. He stands at 25 to 12, and he looks forward to the rest of his life, Do that with me. For some of you, it's longer than others. Who knows how long it will be for any of us. He looks forward. Look forward in your own life. Look forward in the life of this church. And even allow your mind to look forward to your death. And then if you're really brave to the 10,000 times, 10,000 years after that. And as he stands in the moment, he reflects that because his security is all in God, he is security in life, death, and eternity. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, wise counsel and instruction, wisdom and guidance for life. How? Through his word. God speaks to us through his word, the rule of our faith and life. That's a great principle for us to take into the rest of our lives. I set the Lord always before me. It's an image that runs right through the history of the people of God, the, the, the fire and the pillar. Always before us. Where is the Lord? Is he behind us or is he ahead of us? I set the Lord always before me. Jesus always before me. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Depend on him. Lean on him. Let your life be led by him. And he is beside you, and therefore I will not be shaken. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Listen to Spurgeon on these verses. Spurgeon writes, the believer ought to have his faith. He writes in very direct ways. You ought to have your faith. I ought to have my faith and hope surely built and grounded upon Jesus and to have his heart and mine fast fixed and settled in the Lord Jesus, to follow him through thick and thin, through fire and water, through wars and peace. Notice, it's not when we are in storms, that we reach out and look for him. We are to follow him as we go through them, through hunger and cold, through friends and foes, through a thousand perils and dangers, through the surges and waves of envy and malice and hatred and evil speeches and railing sentences, contempt of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and even in death itself. Never, ever let the Lord Jesus come out of your gaze. Never lose sight of him, and you will be safe. Strong words. The tough days will come. Set the Lord always before you. He will be with you. And the writer says, I will not be shaken. Security through life, and then verses 9 and 10, the writer deflects on security in death. Therefore my heart is glad... And my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. We could turn to Acts chapter 2 and Peter's Pentecost sermon. He quotes these words about the Lord Jesus, his resurrection, and that's led many of the Bible commentators to say this psalm is not about our resurrection, it's about the Lord Jesus' resurrection, and of course, it's about both. What's the confidence for you this morning? that when you get to the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord Jesus will resurrect you to everlasting life because He was. That's our confidence. What an encouragement that is to every Christian. Security in death. What boldness there is for the Christian believer to face up in life to death. What boldness, what security. And isn't it striking that in verse 9, the note of gladness is sounded in the eye of death. And then finally, security in eternity. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life in your presence that is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures for forevermore. What a wonderful end that is to the golden psalm. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. I want to encourage you as we close to be so heavenly minded that you are of far more earthly use than you have been thus far in your life. Fill your minds with the 10,000 times 10,000 years of pleasure with God, and with the Lord Jesus. Impossible for us to fathom. And let that eternity give you the steadiness we prayed for and the redirection of our lives that we need and the joy in the Lord. And go and share your faith. Give generously to the work of the kingdom. Work out a way with the elders of the church how we get Jason and Rebecca into China fast. And if you're not yet a convinced Christian, I pray that this psalm has convinced you to become one because without God you have no security in life no security in death and 10,000 times 10,000 years outside the presence of God under his judgment so trust him Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these wonderful, wonderful words in this psalm. We thank you that for the Christian believer who has cast their lot in with the Lord Jesus, there is security in life, and in death and for eternity. And we pray, Lord, that it would fill our hearts with joy and that we would throw our Lord in with you in a way that is truly sincere and live in light of it. And we pray, Lord, for those here who are not yet convinced Christians that your Holy Spirit will be at work in our lives convincing us that in Christ alone our hope is to be found, that he is our light, our strength, and our song, the cornerstone, the solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Amen.